Welcome to this episode of All of the Above. My name is Trevor. I'm one of the pastors at the Church of Greer Station. All of the Above is a podcast of TCGS where we talk about everything. So uh, I'm hosting today, and here with me is Aaron Markham. Aaron, uh, here's our icebreaker question. You ready? Yep. What is your favorite band, and why is it Black Eyed Peas? (laughs) (laughs) Is that because I went boom, boom, pow (laughs) when I walked in the room? Yes. Yeah, I like Black Eyed Peas. 2009, Black Eyed Peas. Yeah. Graduated high school that year. Just a little Fergilicious. Yeah, it was it was so good. It was on my uh, iPod. Mm. Did I still have an iPod in 2009? Yeah. I think I think iPod turned 20 this year, but I'm pretty sure in 2009, yeah. Black Eyed Peas was on my Man, iPod. Crushing it. You were, uh, you know, warming up to your basketball and baseball games and stuff with some Black Eyed Peas. That's right. That. That's right. A little boom boom pow. Yep. Just getting in the groove. Man, I like it. All right, so uh, today, before we jump into our content, I did want to mention, Jonathan and Aaron, we, we are officially a sponsored podcast. Wow. Officially. That is amazing. You hear this sound? You hear this? Mm. What is that, Trevor? That's the sound of coffee beans. We are officially sponsored by Confidence Coffee Supply. So uh, what's cool about Confidence Coffee Supply is that they support foreign missions through both the production of the coffee beans. It's supported by uh, the, the coffee beans are grown and produced by uh, farmers in uh, the regions of South and Central America. And uh, not only does it support those farmers uh, who also happen to be pastors, but it supports mm. the missionaries who roast the coffee and distribute the coffee. Mm. So if you visit their website, Confidence Coffee Supply's website, and enter the promo code COFFEE, you can actually get a discount that saves you half off your very first bag of coffee. Wow. So we're That's excited good. about this, excited about Confidence Coffee, and uh, the guys behind that are friends of uh, the pastors at TCGS, yep. um, and uh, you know, excited about the opportunity to be able to promo them and promo their work in all seriousness. And I uh, would encourage you, if you're a coffee drinker, consider ordering from these guys because it goes go, does go to a, uh, a good cause. Yeah, and we, lo- we love those guys. Those guys are, are great and excited to be able to kind of support and encourage them and, and the mission that they uh, they have to see Jesus made known around the world. Yeah, I love this. He said, he, he texted me this the other day and said that they have a, a roast called the Great Awakening Roast, which mm. is obviously inspired by the Great Awakening in the United States and the British Isles. But he says that the Great Awakening Roast is grown by a Methodist pastor in Honduras. It's imported by a Wesleyanist holiness missionary. It's roasted by uh, a Christian and sold by Baptist missionaries. And so he just wanted to celebrate the... Um, how the whole body of Christ is kind of participating in this endeavor mm. and uh, going about making Jesus known, and by His, by the Lord's grace, like their their efforts can lead a great awakening there. And I love it there in the region. So. Who who is this guy that you're? Oh, texting? Alex Cook. His yeah. name is Alex Cook. Yep. Yeah. So friend of TCGS works at Camp McCall. Works at Camp McCall. Great brother that um, we've been encouraged by. We've prayed for him a number of times in our in our mission prayer. Yeah. So you can go to confidencecoffeesupply.com. And again, if you use the promo code coffee. Uh, it'll give you half off your first bag. Let us know what you think. All right, so today is a uh, Pastor's Talkback episode where we are fielding questions that have been submitted via our Pastor's Talkbacks, uh, talk bo- talk back Box on our website. Uh, we have two questions today that we want to tackle. The first of them is related to uh, Matthew chapter 27, uh, when we're told that upon Jesus' death, the dead come back to life. And the question is, where does that fit? eschatologically. Like, in other words, what kind of resurrection is this? Mm. Is this a, um, is this a sort of uh, 
first kind of samplings of the future resurrection that is to come, or is mm. this something else altogether? And what is what, what do we even really make of that passage? Mm. That's the first question. Uh, the second question is whether or not the gospel accounts are reliable. Can we can we really put a lot of stock into the historical claims that are made by the gospel writers? Yeah. What what sort of evidence, even within the gospels themselves, do we have that we can take them seriously as historical accounts? So, um, let's tackle that first question first, Aaron. Perfect. What do you... I don't have to talk now for the next 15 minutes straight now that you've asked the two questions, do I? You do. Okay. That's going to be hard, but we're going we're gonna to do our best here. So yeah, so thinking about that first question, where does Matthew 27, 52, and 53 fit eschatologically? Let's just uh, read that passage real quick. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So I want, I want to kind of address both kind of the historical nature. Could I interrupt you really quick? Please. Eschatologically, what does that word even mean? That's a great, that's a great question. Eschatology, um, I don't, I'm terrible with if that's an adverb, a verb, a noun, a pronoun, or whatever. Whatever that those words are, eschatology is the study of last things. So the study of kind of the end times, what, what is to come, uh, what's going to happen. It's not going to be the end, um, necessarily, because eternity lies before us, but but what is to come in the future, kind of in the last time, the final culmination of the return of of Jesus, what what takes place? Um, so we're asking, how does this how does this passage fit eschatologically? So I want to think about kind of what what took place at that time, and then we'll kind of maybe talk talk about what what, what is to come in the future. So it says these saints or holy people were were raised, and so presumably these are. Old Testament figures, um, Old Testament written up through mid-400s, mid-5th century B.C., and then godly intertestamental time, um, godly figures. So between, let's just give vague numbers of 450 B.C. up to Jesus' life around zero. These, these kind of faithful Jews have, have died, but they've, they've trusted and they look forward to the coming of the Messiah, um, so presumably they've gone to to Sheol, this Hebrew term that is the the realm of the dead or the the place of departed uh, souls and spirits. And then now Jesus the Messiah has come. He's lived, he's been crucified, he's been buried, and then he's been raised. And so Jesus the Messiah has come. He's died. He's been raised. And then these believers who previously had died have um, who had been in Sheol, who had been they'd been dead. Um, they had been awaiting the coming Messiah, and now they've been re-embodied. Um, the, the tombs have been opened. Um, presumably their, their physical bodies had presumably disintegrated at that point, um, but they've been re-embodied in some way to witness to the new order of the new order of things, to the resurrection of Jesus. They're totally dependent on Jesus' actual death and resurrection, just as we are totally dependent upon the crucifixion of Christ, his death, and the resurrection for us to be saved, they were uh, in the same way. Now they may not; they they wouldn't have known the name Jesus, um, the Son of God, is coming at this time. Like we are now able to look back, and we have kind of the Bible in its full um, writing. But they're the ones looking forward uh, to uh, to the resurrection. So the tombs have been opened, bodies have been raised. Um, they came out 
after the resurrection of Jesus, and then they went into the city. So the timeline is a little bit funny because it's like Jesus was crucified and buried. Then Matthew starts talking about um, bodies being raised, and then he goes back to like Jesus being buried again. Um, but he but he does make a statement in verse fifty three that it's after uh, the resurrection. So, and there there is some um, debate about exactly where to place this. So yes. So you have in verse 51, the curtain of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. And this, is, this happens as Jesus yields up his spirit mm. in, uh, in verse 50. So the moment Jesus dies, the curtain of the temple is torn in two. Uh, then it says that the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many of the body of the, of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And That's so right. some, some people read that to mean that they were resurrected after Jesus was resurrected. Yep. And that the earthquake here... Uh, in, uh, let's see, first, uh, verse 51, 51 is open. the same earthquake in chapter 28 when mm. Jesus is resurrected. Mm. Other people say that it's a separate event, and these folks were raised at the same time that the curtain was torn in two, at the mm-hmm. same time that Jesus died. But presumably, I, they, I guess they hung out in the tombs for yeah. a day. or, or Friday, just Saturday, Sunday. I don't know, took a tour of the graveyard the and then went into the holy city. Mm. Um so there's a couple of different ways to read that, and maybe that's not the most important thing. But yep. um, but what is important is is like what you said to, that that there is a kind of uh, I like the way you said it a moment ago that Jesus has kind of inaugurated this new age, this new order. I think you said, mm. and uh, it's a it's an order where death no longer has a hold on God's people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so this is a kind of testament to that. That's so, right. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, that's good. We we have the the death of of death. And so now that we think about kind of, okay, that's that's taken place um, 2,000 years ago. What does that kind of mean for us? What does that mean for us to kind of hope in? What does that mean for the future? Well, can I ask you another question? Please. Interrupt you again. Is there is their resurrection the same as Christ's resurrection? Hmm. Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yeah, maybe. What, what do you mean? What do you mean? So, so we have instances in the scriptures of people being resurrected. Mm. You know, one of the most obvious examples is Lazarus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think about Lazarus being raised from the dead. He's resurrected. But it's a different kind of resurrection mm-hmm. than Jesus' resurrection. Mm-hmm. Because when Jesus leaves the grave, he is in his glorified That's state. Right. That's right. Um, so uh, what do you think? Do you think these folks were more kind of the same... Uh, like Lazarus kind or of more like Jesus? ...breed of resurrection, yeah. yeah. Is it more like Lazarus, or do you think that they were in like a glorified state? Like yeah, I, I, think, I, I think I would argue they were in a glorified state, because I think... I'm trying to remember the exact verse. I think it's in Ephesians four that talks about the the ascension that presumably these these men and women would have ascended with Jesus into into heaven um, at the time that uh, you know at the time right after the time that Jesus ascended Acts Acts chapter one and then they they're existing eternally with Jesus in what we would kind of commonly refer to as heaven um, from this point forward. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Or how would you articulate that more clearly? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's one... I don't really have strong feelings on I mean, I think it's very possible that these folks were uh, resurrected in the same manner that Lazarus was, mm. and so that they, they died again. It was just kind of a, again, almost a, a parabolic kind mm-hmm. of demonstration of what Jesus has come to do in the same way that the temple was torn, mm. like people were raised from the dead, uh, though it wasn't the full-blown capital R resurrection. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think you can also make the case, like you said, based on Ephesians 4, um, that those folks did ascend with Christ because it says he he came to reclaim captives and they ascended with him on high. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, he could be talking about those saints who were who were yeah. Was it was it an ascension right then and there, kind of with Jesus, or is it more of a 
kind of picture that, okay, hey, Jesus has been raised and ascended. Now kind of all believers for all of time are now right. raised and ascended kind of generically. Seated in the heavenly places. Yeah. 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 yeah so I, I think I think either either of those readings, um, you know, where but then I love I love even um, you posted a blog um, I think last week based on um, kind of the reliability some of even what we're going to get to here in a minute the reliability of scriptures first first Corinthians fifteen like our faith is not futile because Jesus has been raised so kind of however you would nuance and answer that question precisely we can debate we can go to slightly different verses but we what we know what we can trust in what we um, can rest in is that Jesus has been raised, and therefore our faith is not in vain. Our faith mm. is not futile. There's a, there is a resurrection to come for us, presuming that, I mean, Christ could come back at any point, at any day. Um, but judgment is to come. Um, some will be judged and sent into the lake of fire. You know, Revelation 20, 13 and 14 makes clear there's this, this realm of the dead that then is going to be cast into the lake of fire. Everybody's going to be raised up, and then there's going to be a time of judgment of, um, are you with Jesus in eternity, or are you um, cast into the lake of fire mm. and um, separated from God for the rest of eternity? Mm. What else, what other what other thoughts do you have about Matthew twenty seven fitting eschatologically? Yeah, I think something worth pointing out and reiterating is that Jesus does bodily raise from the dead. Mm. You know, it's this isn't Jesus's spirit. It's not his ghost. It's not. He doesn't turn into some kind of ethereal, angelic being. It's like his body, his kidneys and liver and everything else gets up out of the tomb. Mm. And it's in a glorified state. It's perfected. It's, um, it's, uh, he, he's leveled up in his humanity. And the scriptures teach us that he is the first fruits of the resurrection that's to come. And so the same is true for us. Mm. Like Every Christian who has ever placed their faith in Christ, living and dead, will one day be resurrected. There, we, we will be welcomed into this glorified state, and we will bodily come back to life. Um, actually, literally, for real, come back to life. And it's, it's wild. It's wild to think about. And it's a wild claim to make. Um, but it's, it's as long as Christ raised from the dead, we can have confidence that those, who, those of us who place our faith in Him, we too will one day be raised likewise, like mm. Christ. Mm. Um, so I think it's just worth pointing out once again, like that is the Christian hope. It's, it's the resurrection. Yep. It's that we will be made like our Savior and our older brother, you know, our pioneer, the perfecter and author of salvation. Uh, we will be made like him, yeah, because of his resurrection. That's good, and in many ways, that is obviously miraculous. Maybe in the way we would generally talk about miracles, but then again, also, if we worship a triune God who created, informed everyone and everything, um, he's able to intervene in ways that he sees fit because he operates. He he rules it all. He holds it all in the palm of his hand. So Jesus being raised is, um, yeah, is truth, is factual, it is historical, um, and that is what we can we we put our trust in the in the raised Jesus, mm. um, who is also ascended and continuing to rule and reign at the right hand of the Father. And man, it hits me fresh every now and again, like Jesus is alive, mm. like the same Jesus of the Gospels is living and breathing present tense. Mm. He's, he's sitting at God's right hand now, receiving our prayers, you know? Um, it really is amazing mm. that we, we worship a risen, reigning, resurrected, bodily Savior. That's right. Um, and everyone else has always died. Every every person who's claimed any amount of yep. importance 
is dead and still dead. Mm. But Jesus is reigning and living. That's so good. Yeah. So, um, so then we can go ahead and transition into our second yeah. question. I mean, can we can we have any confidence in these gospel accounts? Yeah. You know, not just the not just the story of the resurrection, not just that piece, not just the crucifixion, but in the whole shebang. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what they have to say about the life of Jesus. Mm. Are there any, can, can we have confidence, are there any elements of these Gospels that kind of lead us to believe that they're historically reliable, that we can point to and say, yeah, like th- these things, these guys are, you know, accurately conveying the things that Jesus said and did. Yeah, that's really good. One one thing I would encourage, the blog you posted last week, is it is it accessible on the website? Yeah. yeah. Cool. So there, there's a great blog um, that, that Trevor put together last week that has some Basic articles, articles, basic videos, longer articles, a book, suggestion, kind of a variety of things that that kind of make this this case for the reliability of um, of the scriptures, the reliability of the gospel accounts, because that is we we obviously are um, the reliability of the entire scriptures is vital and important, but the gospel narratives, really the the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, is probably kind of the heart, the climax, yeah. the the center, I think, is kind of um, maybe how I'd, how I'd talk about of, of of Christianity. So it's so it's vital. So if you're thinking about the historical evidence, is not something we we put our faith in, like we put our faith in Jesus. Or um, if I just give you enough stuff to believe in, if I give you enough historical evidence, then you should believe this, and therefore you believe in Jesus. It's, it's um, when we talk about the historical reliability, it's it's more in a, an, an endeavor to, to talk to the person that says, you know, I don't know if I can believe the Bible. I don't think it's historically accurate. I'm more wanting to create the opportunity that um, kind of steal uh, William Lane Craig's language of um, his kind of whole basis of his ministry is called reasonable faith. Um, and it's, it is reasonable to believe that these gospel accounts are historical, reliable, and, and truthful. Um, and so what, what evidence, you know, do we have of that? Um, I'm thinking specifically in Matthew 26 through 28, but we can think about some other passages as well. The first one I'd root in is actually not in that, not in that area, but is, you know, second Timothy three, you know, the all scriptures breathed out by God is profitable for teaching, for proof, for rebuke and, um, correction, training and righteousness. The, the scripture is breathed out by God. It is true. It is reliable. Um, it is beautiful. Um, it is uh, God speaking to us, um, and so we want to we want to trust the scriptures because the scripture and, it, and it's not circular reasoning to say. I mean, maybe in some ways it is, but but the scripture is the highest point of authority. Therefore, nothing, no, no other being, no other authority can give it its authority, or else that thing would then all of a sudden become. The highest authority, right? Um, and and that's true for for any whatever your belief system, whatever is. you choose, whatever your highest authorities, science, you know, science, science tells me that science is authoritative. Yeah, and so it's the same. It is circular reasoning, but it's like all authority is circular reasoning. Whatever your highest authority is yeah. has to have circular reasoning um, to to be reliable. So just thinking about a little bit of the historical evidence in Matthew twenty six through twenty eight, and Trevor, I'd love for you to kind of jump in on on any of these things, just things to kind of pay attention to. One thing that I thought about is just the important characters that are mentioned, even even historical figures. So Caiaphas, the great high priest, um, is mentioned in Matthew twenty six through twenty eight. Talk about chief priests and the whole council, 
the Sanhedrin is these people. This is the governing body of Jerusalem, and they talk about Pilate, the governor of Jerusalem. Now, these people aren't necessarily like the most prominent worldly figures, but they're not unimportant, and people would know them historically, and stuff would have been written about them, and um, you could corroborate you know, a good bit of, of what's taken place. So there's, there's important figures that are mentioned. Man, and, and you're going to get to the, the use of detail in a second, but I did want to mention this. Um, Peter J. Williams, he's got another talk mm-hmm. on just whether or not we can trust the Gospels. It's, it's maybe 45, 50 minutes long. It is so good. What's his, and he has a book as well. Do you remember the I title? I think it's just called Can I Trust the Gospels? Yeah. Um, okay. And uh, it's really, really helpful. One of the things that he mentions about the, the, the use of characters is he talks about how um, these characters are mentioned and then the, the characteristics of these characters are consistent across the witnesses, across hmm. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So hmm. for instance, in the Gospel of Luke, man, when he was, when he was relaying this, he gave me cold chills. It was, yeah. so, it was so good. Um, in the Gospel of Luke, we're told the story of Mary and Martha in Jesus. So Jesus goes to Martha's house. Mary sits at Jesus' feet, and Martha's like back and forth, like, you know, um, all over the place, like kind of trying to get the house ready, and she's frustrated at Mary, like, Mary, why are you just sitting at Jesus' feet? Why don't you get up and do something? And so we kind of have this character profile that we're given. And then if you think about in John chapter 11, when Lazarus passes away, we're told that Martha greets Jesus at the door, which is a subtle detail, but it's consistent that it's Martha's house. Mm. She greets him in both stories. Mm-hmm. And we're told that Mary sits at Jesus' feet, and Martha is the one who's frustrated at Jesus because if he would have been there, he would have done something about Lazarus' sickness. And so you see consistency across the characteristics of these, uh, across the witnesses of the, the types of behaviors that these women exhibit. And it's like, if these are fabricated characters and fabricated stories, everybody just kind of conspired together to get the details right about who these characters were going to be. Or the simplest explanation is that these were actual people who had actual behaviors and were actually consistent in the way that they interacted with Jesus. Yeah, that's so good. Isn't that awesome? Wow. Man, that is so good. We need to, we'll need to link that video as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, to Because uh, I haven't even had a chance to listen to it or watch it, and I would love to. So that's good. So, so there's characters mentioned. Second, uh, second thing I was thinking about is is just there's lots of women that are talked about. And if Matthew is trying to make this up or deceive anyone, he would not use women to solidify his words because a woman's word was not trusted. It wasn't reliable in a court of law and really anywhere. And so, I mean, early on in chapter six, um, Jesus is anointed by a woman with expensive ointment. You know, later in chapter twenty-seven, with many women. Looking on, there's Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, um, which is Jesus' mother and the mother of the sons of Zebedee and others, um, other women presumably watching the um, Jesus be be crucified. The confirmation that Jesus was buried in chapter 27, verse 61, is Mary Magdalene and the other Mary just kind of being there to observe the burial. And then early on in chapter 28, um, the first people to learn of Jesus' resurrection are women. Um, these are the first people to then see Jesus, and they are to go and tell the men about what they have seen and tell them to go to Galilee. And a woman's word was just not seen as reliable in this time. And so if Matthew was trying to create a really good story to kind of convince you to believe it, it wouldn't be with all of these details about the importance of, of women and what the role they played in, in the end of Jesus' life. Yeah, what I think about is like you think about UFO encounters today or Bigfoot encounters, and it's you know oftentimes... You know, maybe it's some hillbilly who's like living out in the mountains somewhere, and it's like uh, you, you folks often criticize those accounts on the basis of the person mm-hmm. who's had that account. It's like you can't believe that because that guy is not trustworthy. That's right. It's like 
if you're fabricating these stories, you're not going to fabricate these stories with those kind of witnesses. Yeah. And, you know, right or wrong, that's how people perceived the testimony of women mm. during the time period when this was written. So you're not going to go out of your way to choose those kind of firsthand witnesses unless, mm -hmm. of course, you know, those were actually the people present and actually the witnesses. That's right. Third, I was thinking that that the disciples really are not painted in a positive light. So John seems to be there at the at the crucifixion, um, but kind of everybody else has abandoned Jesus. Um, and so if these are if these are the eleven kind of eleven and twelve kind of coming up with you know the story that we're going to fabricate and then it's going to change the world, they've painted themselves in a really terrible light, kind of over and over again. Really, they just fall short throughout the entire Gospels. Um, they don't get it. They're missing the mark. Um, and so these disciples are not painted in a positive light. We think about fourth, um, and this was even our kind of kids' lesson on Sundays, that the miracles that Jesus did confirm his identity as the Son of God, including, you know, the resurrection um, and uh, then, his, then his ascension. All of these miracles he's done up through, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just confirm his identity um, as the Son of God. Fifth, kind of how can we know this is this is reliable? People were trying to discredit Jesus from the very start. So in, in chapter 26, verse 59, the council were seeking people who would provide false testimony against Jesus in order for them to be able to um, put him to death. So they're seeking false testimony. They're trying to kind of already get people to fabricate answers so they can put Jesus to death. And then a, a common theory about what happened to Jesus is that his body was stolen by the disciples. But then Matthew kind of way, way back 2,000 years ago kind of goes ahead and puts his finger on that and nips it in the bud. Chapter 27, verse 64, the stolen body hypothesis is put forward. Hey, that th th this might happen, so we need to be aware. So they put a whole bunch of guards. Their life, these, the, the guards, their life depends upon them um, protecting this this tomb and not letting anybody steal the body. So they got they got the best of the best. And then twenty eight chapter twenty eight verses eleven through fifteen, the body of Jesus has been raised. And essentially they say, hey, our excuse is going to be that the body was stolen. We tried to stop it, we couldn't stop it. Something else has happened. Not really sure what. Somebody stole the body. That's what we're going to say. Um, so people are trying to discredit Jesus from the very start. This isn't something that's just been happening in the last. 150 years. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's worth pointing out, like, if the disciples did indeed steal the body, these are guys who suffered immensely, immensely for essentially what was what would be a lie, yeah. for a hoax. And because they were all end up pretty much martyred. Um, right. Killed for their faith in something that they made up. Right. So I mean, Peter, what would what would compel Peter to make the 180 that he did, except for discovering that Christ was resurrected, mm. you know? Mm. That's so good. I know, we're, I know we're getting close on time. So just six, just the beauty, the majesty of the crucifixion. But then kind of that turned on its head in that Matthew is speaking to a Jewish audience. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23 makes clear that a man hung on a tree is cursed by God. And so Deuteronomy is written to a, a Jewish-Israel audience, Um the Messiah, the promised one, the Savior, the Lord, the King should not be crucified. If that's the story, if we're just trying to fabricate a story, you would not. That, that's not how you would fabricate the story. Because right, he's it, cursed by God. Right, and if this guy were gonna, if he were gonna catch fire amongst Jewish believers, 
I mean, something radical would have to change after he's been crucified. Yes. There's no way you could account for the fact that this story originated amongst Jews who believed this, except for a resurrection. That's right. Is that, that's the point you're making. That's right. right. That's, a, that's a really good, really good explanation. So all of that helps explain why the resurrection is, is reliable, um, as described in the, in the Gospels. Um, last two things. Seventh, um, some people worship and some people doubt. That's the language that, that appears in Matthew 28. And I think there's just an honesty to that. Like, some people worship Jesus, this he's been raised, and some people doubt. Like, okay, what's going on here? Not really sure. Doubting Thomas. Um, I think there's just a, an honesty to that, a, a kind of a detail, like a, a small detail, which is my last point, is there's just lots of random details that fill the gospel accounts, and then especially in Matthew 26 through 28, that just would not appear in a um, non-Western society the way that it the, the way that it does. So thinking about even the account of the third hour, this thing happens. The sixth hour, this thing happens. The ninth hour, this thing happens. Just all of the details that fill up the gospel accounts just help us that seemingly are unimportant. Like we read some verses that I was like, I'm not really sure how to preach this. I don't really have anything to go tell you to do. It's just this description that these people were here at this time. What do I do with that? I don't, I'm not sure. Um, but Matthew's just given us important kind of ancillary details that fill out the story of Jesus ultimately being crucified, buried, and raised again. And you compare it with mythology or religious texts from around that time, um, or you compare it with some of the other gospels, uh, you know, pseudo gospels like yeah. the Gospel of Thomas, and what's amazingly lacking is any sort of historical context in those. That's right, and that's one of the things that makes the the flavor of the gospel so unique. Is it is just so doggone specific about this happened here. It says you, they go up to Jerusalem. Mm. Jerus- Jerusalem's at the top of a hill. Yep. you literally go up to Jerusalem, or you go down to Jericho. Jericho is the lowest city on earth. You have to actually go down to Jericho. So they had awareness of the location, the setting, the people, um, and and again, you compare that with other. With with myths and religious texts from around that time, and they did not think that way. Mm. So clearly, the gospel writers are writing as if things were actually taking place, that they were actually experienced and happened in this way. Yeah, that's good. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Force Gump. Yeah, that's all I have to say about that. That's all I have to say. I know I pushed my time limit, anyways. No, that's right on. Uh, the um, there's more that can be said, and I mean this this is a bit of a, a tricky topic. Because the question ultimately isn't, you know, how do we prove that these things are true? That's right. It's more so, like, how do we, what is the best explanation for the data that we actually have? And the data that we actually have, I mean, like, the simplest, clearest, um, the way to make the most sense out of what we have is that Christ was born, um, you know, lived the life that the gospel writers claimed that he lived, did the things he claimed he did, and was resurrected. Mm. That's what makes the most sense of the information that we have on hand. That's exactly right. And it's, it is very very reasonable to believe in that. Yeah. Um, we're never going to be able to kind of 100% show you perfect evidence that, you know, is beyond any, any doubt or any, any issue there, there is an element, there's a major element of faith that is required, um, to walk with Jesus, but it's not, it's not unreasonable. The day, this day and age wants to, yeah, kind of science rules the day or our reason rules the day. Um, it is it is reasonable to believe exactly as the scriptures have been have been written. Yeah. That's right on. 
Good. Well, there's there's more that could be said about this, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna put some resources together, recommended resources, videos, and books, and that sort of thing, to help you if you have any more uh, questions or want to dive deeper into this topic. Uh, we thank you for listening. Again, you can you can post any questions on the uh, webpage. Um, tcgrewstation.com slash pastors hyphen talkback. You can submit any questions. We'd love to talk about those. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Yeah, feel free to reach out to us by email. Whatever questions you have there too, we'd love to talk more. Yeah, push back, ask for clarity, and don't forget to get some coffee. Get some coffee. All right. Hey, and Jonathan Franklin's in the room making this thing happen. I don't just in case you didn't know that, he's the he's the magic behind this thing. So producer extraordinaire. He makes it happen. So thanks. Now he has to sit quietly as we talk about it. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.